episode 67 of Gaming and BS. Hey, this is Kevin Lovecraft, and you're getting ready to listen to some BS with Sean and Brett. Welcome to Gaming and BS, where we talk about tabletop RPGs and other miscellaneous Topics of geekery. We're talking about why we like Dungeons and Dragons this week. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome to the show. All right. Hiccup. Hiccup there. Hiccup there. Sorry for so the we were a, scheduling snafu. Say, yeah, we're a day late because Sean can't hold his liquor. No, I'm kidding. Oxygen. <laughs> Oxygen. No. <clears throat> when I got the text from Sean and he's like, dude, I can't do this. I'm like, wow, what's the matter? Sick, puking. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> so anyway, you, you look hale and healthy. So that's nice. I feel like a thousand percent better. You look good. You look good. Sean. I feel like it. I feel like a champ. Let's get into the show, huh? Hey, Let's thanks for everybody joining us uh, and rescheduling your entire life to, to be here this evening. If you're li- if you're live. Angela Murray had stated that she was going to actually try to get out of a work meeting just to attend this. She might actually put her career on the line in order to get to this episode. We so do it, not condone that type of uh, pro, uh, thinking, but if we, we applaud it, we, we ap- just don't condone it. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, let's <clears throat> update from the game hole. So I wanted to just, I kind of skipped one. Let's get That's into right. this, right? So do it. There's a few things. I'm going to, you want to hit the first, there is second th- three, third three. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do the last three there. So <clears throat> small things that, the, that they adjusted the rooms um, for game hole 2016. That is November four, five, and six are open and you can go out there and get them. I actually got my room at the Clarion as I did last year. So that's all set. So Zave, JR and I got our space. Um, they have, excuse me. So hotels are open. You want to get in there, go, go, go. They'll fill up fast. No doubt. Food trucks are back. Last year, one of the major complaints, and uh, if you listen to our bonus BS episode, Alex Camera, I, I mean, they identified that right out. Like, look, um, the food situation, yeah, we got to fix that. So they've already taken steps to address that, which is pretty cool. And one of the other things Alex said he wanted to fix was the concept of the uh, late night bar at the Clarion. So they're going to expand the hours at the Clarion itself. So that way, when Game Hole, the convention center itself shuts down and people move over to the Clarion, They've got a place to hang out and uh, game, talk, BS, hang out with folks and stuff. So should be pretty cool. And Sean, you just found out something new and amazingly sexy. So what have you got? I have the exclusive. True Dungeon is coming to Game Hole. True Dungeon. True Dungeon. You heard it here first. It hasn't even been announced by the Game Hole people. That is a big damn setup, isn't it? That's a big deal. It is a big deal. I don't have any more details than other than the fact that they are going to be there and hosting True Dungeon. If you're not familiar with True Dungeon, um, you can go to, I think they have their own website, actually. I believe believe they do. I I know scant information about True Dungeon, and by God... If they're going to be there, I'm going to have to dig into this thing and see what it's all about. I mean, I, it's been at Gen Con and other places, but I have never delved into it. So we shall have to see what we can do. I run. have not done it as well, but um, I think, let me see if they even have if it posted. Oh, they have a newsletter. So I'm looking on their website. Um, but if you go to truedungeon.com, you'll know more about it. It's a virtual dungeon um you buy a ticket which i'm sure will be separate from the cost of admission into the con um and you take the persona of a bunch of characters and you go through as a group through puzzles and uh other real life real size type things yeah like what it's a if there's a logic puzzle to unlock something you've got like puzzle pieces on the floor um chris nizak was talking about something similar that i know was out there's escape like uh 
there's escape room things that people have done. Safe, like safe teams, rooms or safe room type what, things or whatever. Not safe rooms. Not safe rooms. But anyhow, there's rooms? similar types of things, but this is this is dungeon based. Um I'll tell you, this is this would not have been possible at the Sheridan back, you know, two cons ago. <clears throat> now that we're in the Alliant Energy Center, we have the space for Alex to pull this type of thing off with the team. So that's kudos to him for forward thinking and making sure they've got the space for this type of shit. So that's really cool. Yeah. So that's going to be awesome. All right. So the other announcement I wanted to talk about today was I have not yet seen Star Wars. I've said it before. I'm not, I'm not as big a Star Wars fan as I used to be when I was a kid. I will see the movie, but I, we don't want to do the spoiler thing. Everyone knows it's a bad goddamn idea. Sean, you saw it. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you all about it. Um, (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I thought it was well worth it. I would say that if I had to put my finger on it being the best versus the worst, I would probably put it right at number three or four out of all seven. Number three or four out of all seven. And knowing how much you really liked the first prequel, I'm not sure. So I think the first three, (laughs) I think that goes without stating that it would be better than the first three. You're saying the, the the prequels or the actual one, episodes one, two, and three? Oh, Sean just locked up. At least he seemed uh, to lock I'm, up. To I'm me. right here. I'm right here. All right, I'm you, still right you here. froze there for a bit. I'm still okay. right here. So I don't. I would say that it's better than one, two, and three. Um, I don't know if it would be better than f- four necessarily. So I I, at- I think it was tr- Star Wars. To what I think that's what I think it I think it should have taken over the first three episodes. One, there you two, go. Three. Well, that was the thing. One of the pieces that a lot of people who I know were Star Wars fans did not like about some of the the prequel pieces was it doesn't feel like Star Wars or some quote along that lines. So along that line, excuse me. So as long as it felt Star Wars and you know seemed and appeared and touched, tasted, and smelled just like Star Wars, everything's cool. So sweet. It does not come with its drawbacks. Oh, of course. I, on the other hand, saw um, I saw he uh, he never died. The Henry Rollins movie about him being Kane. That was a lot of fun. My wife not so keen on it, but I liked it. That's great, man. I know it was. All right, you have to tell you have to tell me later if uh, if Kirk and Spock die in this one or not. Oh yeah. wait, wrong wrong franchise. Well, that's another. That's a <laughs> preview came on there for Star Trek. What is it beyond? Oh my god, are people pissed about that? Why? I don't know. I heard something like a, there's a motorcycle jumping scene oh, in it and yeah. just crazy weirdness. Um, anyway, it's whatever. We could talk. I don't freaking care. But people were a lot of people I follow were like ah, rage, rage, rage. Let's get step away from that. To random encounter where it is the element of the show where we field voicemails, emails, and comments from social media or even voicemails. I think I had a voicemail. Did I have a voicemail? I think you do. Uh-oh. I think I might have an issue. Shoot. Might have to dig it up. I do have to dig okay. it up. As you are reading the first one, I will dig up the voicemail. I will do that. So Mark Dawson, uh, the gaming BS archivist, um, he says, Hey BS, thanks for sharing my thoughts. And I'm glad my suggestions for die roll found its way into the show. Hope to maintain my newly granted title of BS archivist. Well, Mark, apparently the only person who cares enough about us to go into that length. Of course you do, man. Good job. Anyhow, uh, Mark continues with great topic for episode 66, incorporating a die mechanic for critical successes or epic fail as long, excuse me, been a house rule in every group I've gamed with over the years. Most commonly, the house rule for D and D, where rolling natural twenty on attack means automatic success and results in double damage, and a natural one is always a fail despite any modifiers. I've seen some elaborate percentile-based charts for fails, but the bottom line, which you guys nailed during the episode, is there are ex- <clears throat> excuse me is these extreme die rolls allow some creative and interesting opportunities to enhance an otherwise very mechanical aspect of the game. That's very true. The, a little aside here is that D and D, it's it's a very high level gloss over the details kind of fighty combat game. So sometimes adding in some of that color can be cool. Uh, Mark was on with, but isn't it a huge downer when the table gets excited over someone rolling a 20 on their attack and only rolls a one for damage. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, but the, <clears throat> but that's the bummer about D 20 based systems is not only 
is it pure luck for the player to roll an extreme, but also how it reads in-game for the character. No matter if you're still starting at level 1 or you've worked way up to level 20, you still have a 5% chance to roll a crit or fail regardless of how pathetic or badass a character might be. If only someone was developing a game where this kind of feature scaled up with character experience levels. Hmm. And Mr. Dawson did hint last time that he was uh, doing a little game development stuff, so... Anywho, says Mark, I promise to keep the future commentary short, so in honor of tonight's movie-going experience, Sean, may the force awaken in you, and to Brett, I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> Just messing with you. All right, Mark, thank you very much, sir. So I think Good that stuff. on his uh, regarding his comments about half-assed damage when you roll a 20 or a critical, I wrote back to him and said, you know what, maybe you roll, you roll damage, but you automatically do half. So whatever you you roll goes on top of half of the damage. Oh, so it's always going to be one and a half times regardless. And then the extra goes on top of it. Oh, interesting. That's what I But think. I have done that. I mean, if I remember my 3035 rules correctly, if you crit, you verify, and then you roll a one, well, guess what? And you roll two ones, you do two points of damage. That's it. Which can be depressing. Anyhow. Sean, over to you, sir. All right, Chris, uh, phones in voicemail. Hey, guys, it's Chris Shorb, and wanted to touch base with you. I was just listening to episode 26. I heard about you guys from the Misdirected Mark podcast and thought, hey, I've got some space at the end of my feed. Maybe I'll start listening to Gaming of BS. Since I've got some a minor bit of OCD, I decided to start from number one, and I'm moving my way forward, and I'm up to number 26. I heard that you guys hadn't had any voicemails yet. I'm sure by now, I think you guys are up to number 60 or something. You received some voicemails, but I thought I'd call in because I'm sitting here in my car about to go to work. Wanted to just say great job on the show. There was an episode, I don't remember which one it was, where you guys were talking about what system matters or not, and I was vehemently in disagreement with Brett. He said, oh, system doesn't matter. You can still play Call of Cthulhu with, you know, some other system, and it would be the exact same thing. Uh, a, I just disagree that it would not be the exact same thing. I do feel like you can adjust any system to fit any setting, and you can modify settings to fit systems, but you will not be playing the exact same game as playing your own game. Chris. So that's just my personal feeling. thought I wanted to call in on that. And the other thing was, uh, in re- reference to misdirected Mark and the, the backplay between the two of you, I think it's awesome. It's hilarious. But I remember when I first listened, I, I had listened to Sneezak do you guys' voices, and he'd always been like this when he was talking about Brett's voice. But then I remember hearing, as soon as I heard episode one, I was like, wait, which one is Sean? Because, Sean, you've got the rougher, raspier voice, and uh, Brett, you've got more of that kind of mellow voice. I, I kind of compare one to to uh, Scotch on the Rocks and Scotch Neat, and I'll leave it to you guys to figure out which one is is uh, which. So uh, it's okay if you guys use this on the on the podcast. Uh, my name is uh, again, it's Chris Shorb, and I just started to follow you guys. I haven't subscribed to the to the feed yet, just because I need to get through all the backlog before I subscribe. But uh, when I get up to when I catch up, I'll, I'll be sure to jump on board as a subscriber. So thanks a bunch, and have a great day. Bye bye. All right, Chris. Thanks for taking the time to leave a voicemail, and thanks for taking the Absolutely. time to go back and listen to our our past twenty some, fifty some, sixty some episodes of rhetoric. I think by Chris, uh, I think by the time you get up to the early sixties, there is there's an episode out there where we talked a little bit more, and I think it's kind of uh, Brett's um, recant or realization, perhaps the system does matter more than I initially had stated in that. Um, episode you're referring to. So I, I look forward, Chris, to you listening to that episode and coming back and seeing if um, you think I'm more in line with what you're uh, with what you're uh, gunning for there or not. That's so, Brett's cool. way of saying that we are allowed, or he is anyway, to change his mind. Yeah, I think we're allowed one each every sixty episodes or so. What? Oh. <laughs> or something like I don't know. I like how he I like how he takes out Chris and says he's got the he's got the voice backwards. That's funny. So scotch on the rocks and scotch neat. I, Sean, do you drink scotch? Do you drink whiskey at all? I drambuie, but that doesn't really count. I mean, people that drink uh, real that scotch would be like, that doesn't count. So It doesn't. I drink real scotch. That doesn't count. I don't drink real scotch because I can't afford the stuff that tastes like butter. 
All right. All like right. Frank well, gave me some. A guy we work with gave me some that was like a hundred year old scotch. And man, that stuff was. Oh, holy, yeah. holy it's cow! Really good. <laughs> it's really super good. It comes with a huge price tag. But it does. Really but yeah, so no, I am I'm not a big scotch drinker. Uh, well, if it if it helps any, I drink I drink enough for both of us, so I think we're okay. So do you do you drink it with uh, do you drink it neat or with the rocks? Depends. Do you but drink? I tend to I tend to like um I tend to like my uh, my drinks colder. So often I will go rocks, but there's certain whiskey there's certain whiskeys, uh, bourbons, um, and scotches and Irish whiskeys that I prefer neat. So when you go with the cold side do you use stones or cubes stones or ice cubes i would use stones if i could get them and that by that we mean whiskey stones by the by they're uh small rocks that people actual stones they don't the melt freeze they don't melt yeah that is pretty cool water down your shite all right man all right next one's yours oh sweetness episode 66 chad knight writes in uh regarding fumbles and criticals I just got to. This was a long one. He said he he said he wrote this just for you. I gotta I gotta prep myself because it's from Chad Knight. Take it how you want, Chad Knight. <laughs> I've been silent for a while, but no longer. Critical hits and fumbles. I love these. Here is my thought and evolution of how, as a DM, I have used critical hits and fumbles. Let's start with one of my house rules. That was the first house rule I ever implemented in a game. All right, let's go. I began by running D&D. Sec- okay, here we go. There's got to start from the... Oh, I was a wee young lad. Back when I was a kid, all we had were D20s. See, we didn't even know what a dipole system was. You know you're old when you're starting to talk like, I began by <laughs> running D&D 2nd Edition, and I love the concept of critical success and fumbles. It was a rule that I stole from one of my first GMs. If a player character rolled a natural 20, you roll again. If you roll another natural 20, you roll a third time. If you roll another natural 20, you kill outright whatever the foe is. Even if it is a dragon, ancient worm, whatever. On the flip side, uh, if you roll a one and confirm that with two more natural ones, you die. Yikes. Now I've been running this rule for over 20 years. <sighs> 20 years. Holy shit balls. <laughs> That's when they made nice out of bones. Which is, which is, I, I know how old Jed <laughs> is and he's younger than both Sean. I know I, so, he is. Just, <laughs> so like he's talking like when he's like three years old or something. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Uh, and only once in that time has it been done in the negative. My youngest daughter uh, but in the negative, uh, by my youngest daughter, it was done by. This is that rule that stands in all my D20 games, always has, always will. Uh, be that, be, yeah, bah, bah, bah. Beyond that, I used to create uh, different charts based on the game I'm currently running. I no longer do that because that's way too much pigeon towing. I do still deal with critical success and failures in a fun way. I will not kill a player unless the above is fulfilled on a failure. Unless I see no other choice, I will not have a PC kill another PC. However, you can have fun with failures. I have the player roll a check to confirm the failure. If it does critically fail, I try to have a narrative that is cool but does no damage. The idea that you miss another character when standing toe-to-toe is absurd to me unless you critically fail. So I will say, your sword strikes your foe in the breastplate, and as showers of sparks cascade from your sword, you realize that your sword has gone done no real damage. God, I wish I could read better today. You're sick. It's okay. You're recovering. Keep going. Critical success works pretty much the same way, only in reverse. What? The madness. I try to make things realistic, and by doing so, hopefully pull the player deeper into the narrative. The character rolls a natural 20. I will have them confirm. Or not, depending on system. And if they confirm the critical success, I will take everything into account. Type of armor the bad guy is wearing type of weapon being wielded. So for this argument, the bad guy has an on some scale mail and the PC has a curved blade. The player is successful and critically hits the foe. I would say something like your blade finds a missing scale and plunges deep into the flesh of your enemy. As your blade slides out of your foe, the black backside rips flesh from his side, causes additional damage. The foe rises in pain and feels your extra damage. 
I use nice. critical success and failure to enhance gameplay, not to define it. I like to use them to add some flair and spice into my game. Sorry I've gone on so long, but as long as Sean Kelly gets stuck reading it, I'm good. Thanks, like guys. Chad, Chad Knight. <laughs> I think, well, we talked about it last episode, right? Crit, crit hits and fumbles are some of the, uh, the first house ruling stuff that a lot of people did. Kind of cool. Cool, cool. I'll take the next one. By all means. Roger Braslett. I know in the past, uh, people asked you to pare down your intro, but did you really need to completely skip it this time? Sean. Technical snafu. My apologies to you only, Roger. Excellent. Roger continues. I agree with Brett about having to confirm your critical hits. Boo. Unfortunately, my group does this. Oh, sorry, Roger. I might have to change it to a confirmation brings to the critical hit chart with a non-confirmation just does double damage. We'll see. Uh, I don't think Brett gives uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay first edition critical hit charts enough cred, but I think it's because he's ta- talking about the one in the book and not the expanded one that came with the GM screen. That would be true, Roger. I do not have the GM screen, so I do not see the expanded version. Roger continues with, I'm sure I have a link around here somewhere for the expanded one if anyone was interested. I am, Roger. If you have it, send it to me. Please, please, please. It breaks the hit down, hits down by weapon type and also has a fumble table. Again, I really like hearing uh, Sean warm up on to the topic. Keep it up, man. For topics of mechanics, like Mark suggested, I have. Um, he's talking about opposed die rolls. I am not a fan, says Roger Braslett. What about you guys? Uh, Roger, you and I talked about that at uh, Gamehole, actually, and I've got that logged away as a topic for Sean and I to uh, hit up at some point in the near future here. So I'll add it to our list, and we will talk about opposed die rolls, definitely. Next one, Sean, up to you. Thanks for writing in, Roger. Sorry for the intro. Sorry. It tears, it tears me up. Just tears me up. See, nobody will know what it, what we're talking about because I fixed it, Roger. <laughs> Joe Swick. Joe Swick. I got to announce Joe like uh, the a ringleader, ring ring guy. Ring announcer? Ring announcer. That's, that's, the word. that's, oh my God. that's the word I'm looking for. That's Joe why Swick Joe, Joe hey, Swick runs a podcast about pro wrestling. That's so. why Joe does pro wrestling and Sean <laughs> does other ideas. dumb shit. Right. I found, I found that having the players describe their crit 20s works really well to allow them to put that flourish on their character's fighting style. I have found that they tend to try to weasel out of flubs when they crit fail. I have to say, no stubbing your toe isn't enough. <laughs> I do like that. I haven't done that as much in my D&D games as I have in World of Darkness or Call of Cthulhu and other games when something uh, critical happens or something really cool is pass it to the player and say what happens. And I think that's something that I'd like to start doing more in my games. Yeah. Uh, so, and um, Forrest, I guess, did he correct us or did you? Or are you correcting me, Sean? He corrected us. Well, thank you, Forrest. Forrest wrote in last episode, I butchered Forrest's last name. And it's spelled A-G-G-U-I-R-E. And Forrest um, was kind enough to give me a pronunciation that's O'Gary. So it's Forrest O'Gary. Yes. There we go. So now we have Forrest's last name. So a correction on our previous episode. Absolutely. Forrest, I appreciate your tolerance of uh, my, my butchering of your name. All right. Let's get into the main topic, which I've tweaked the intro a little bit this week, too. Ooh, do it. All right, and so there. <laughs> All right. Shall I? Yeah, man, you're the intro of the topic, unless I come up with it. <clears throat> okay, which has never happened in 66 episodes. Um, 67. Listen to, this, <laughs> listen to this freaking guy. You'd think he was the only guy in this show. Actually, without Sean, there would be no show. Just just so everybody knows that right now. Without Sean, if you've ever seen me try to hook up a mixer, it's a sad, sad sight. <laughs> It's not good. I think Sean is quoted as saying Brett Rage Hulk's where he tries to set up. A- I don't get that stupid thing. It's like <laughs> my dad. He's like my dad on that side. I don't know what this thing cooks up to. Yeah. Team, anyway. team, team. Just like Absolutely. Capone, right? The t- untouchables. <laughs> so 
Sean and I talk a lot about Dungeons and Dragons, oh, D&D, and various, various components. A lot. Um, I think it's a good universal example system that we fall back to. I know guys like Ken and Robin do it, too. It's, you know, the world's most popular role-playing game, either Path, the Pathfinder variant or the D&D or the D, actual D&D version. But, you know, there is, Sean and I have also expressed, you know, we really like the game. And there's a number of reasons why we like it. And I think sometimes it's it's interesting to... to uh, to look at a game system like that and say, why am I playing this? I mean, I know like my buddy Zave. Zave is a big role master guy. Uh, Zave doesn't love role master because it's overly complex, or he doesn't love the critical hit charts more than anything else. He started playing role master. He liked the detail involved. He likes um, a number of different things. He and I have gone on at length back and forth. Sometimes there is the nostalgia candle that burns pretty brightly, but I just want to kind of chat through it a little bit here, Sean, and uh, see if we can't, Maybe figure out what, uh, what the hell do we like this thing for anyway? I don't know, man. I, you I don't know. I do. I just, I don't know. I can't even put it into words. Can't. <clears throat> Your love runs that deep. <laughs> only, only we should have sent for a poet. That's what we should have done. <laughs> the love here is so deep. Send for Spencer. Um, okay. So I think one of the reasons that Sean and I, at least I know for me anyway, I fall back on D&D as a universal example system. Right. So we say, hey, you know, critical hits like if you roll a 20 or the class based system or or races and settings. I think that it's so many people in the gaming hobby have either played it or some variant of it or they know enough about that game system that when you use it as a core example. Especially when you're talking about perhaps a general uh, general gaming advice, as Sean and I often talk talk about, um, it's easy to reference. And because it's easy to reference, easy and uh, easy, more ugh, easy to reference and very accessible for for folks to get into. I think that's one of the reasons why, for us anyway, at least from my side of the of the mics here, it comes up as the system as opposed to saying, "Well, you know, when I was running, you know, Trail of Cthulhu, then I have to explain everything about this um, about oh, Gumshoe runs like this, and, oh, Edge of the Empire runs like that." I don't have any diatribe around or explanation of the um, system because people understand essentially what it is if you've been in the hobby long enough. Sean, do you agree with me there, or what do you think? So yeah, I think what you're trying to get at, Brett, it's a you know essentially the 300 pound gorilla of the role playing game industry. It's been around long, uh, not necessarily the longest, even though some people may debate that. Uh, it has had its iterations. It's gone, through, mm-hmm, you know, TSR. TSR's iterations, Wizards of the Coast, the different editions. I mean, it is the behemoth. Nothing has been marketed or advertised as intensely as Dungeons and Dragons. Good or bad marketing. It's simply had commercials. It's had cartoons. It's had, oh, I don't know, other games that's been branded Dungeons and Dragons. It's had two movies called Dungeons and Dragons. Terrible, yes, but still, there isn't a Pathfinder movie. Three, thank you. There isn't a Pathfinder movie. There isn't a, a uh, well, Dresden Files is debatable, but that came after the fact, right? That's mm-hmm. an intellectual property issue. But see, so I think, you know, it is really hard not to say that the presence of Dungeons and Dragons, and as a matter of fact, there are industries, you know, people, publishers, professionals that will say that the longevity of the RPG industry relies solely on the success of Dungeons and Dragons, I leave it to you, Brett. That's a pretty bold statement for those individuals who I'm sure you can't name. Um, no kidding. That's a that's actually a bold statement, and I think there's probably some truth to it. The it has so much. Um, it's kind of a universal constant, as we're talking about here in, in the chat room tonight. Um, it contains so many different core components of every role-playing game system, um, whether it had, you know, it has its version. And I think that part of it comes from the edition perspective of it, right? You go from everything from your very first white box, brown box, um, up through the uh, Moldovay, Mensner, Holmes, that type of the basic D&D. Then you got your AD&D, all the variations of it. Um, all the different components that they've tried to add in the different splat books and pieces. You've got Ravenloft. You've got an attempt at Gothic horror. You've got Planescape, wacky, weird, you know, hopping planes, Spelljammer, all these different things that you can do with it. And I think one of the pieces that, um, 
that Sean and I have talked about before when we were saying, you know, kind of if you're on a desert island, what what game do you want to play? Or when you play uh, fantasy, what's the go-to? What's the go-to for it? Is I think there is so much that D&D, it doesn't do everything incredibly well from a very simple um, mechanical perspective. There's always some game system out there, um, investigative games. I think that um, Gumshoes and uh, Call of Cthulhu and others like that are much better at investigative games or horror role-playing. But some of the beauty of the Dungeons & Dragons systems throughout the years is its malleability. It's really, really simple, at least in my experience, to house rule. Maybe that just comes down to my, my constant exposure to it. And because of that, I learned, wow, I really had to butcher the shit out of this D&D thing to make it run like this. Oh, wow, this other thing, Call of Cthulhu, really does horror well. I should check that out. It's kind of that, um, it's that intro drug, right? You know, I got, I got a taste of that. And next thing you know, I'm moving on to something that is a little different, has a different taste to it, a different flavor, a different approach. And I think it really helps... Um, it's very accessible, I guess, is where I'm coming from, from a concepts perspective. And I think that's, to your point, is that it's, um, it's so universal within the, uh, within the hobby that if you can understand the concepts in D&D, you can pretty much take those to any other game system. Ooh, quite profound. Well, maybe not. But I mean, it's got, it's had, it's, hey, here's a skill system. We're going to add skills. We're going to talk about combat, some um, experience points, different ways to do it. All the plethora of Dragon Magazines that were the official support arm for it for all those years, different ways and tweaks and things that people's house rules were published and so forth. And I really think that despite what guys like Gary Gygax would very specifically call out in um, in some of the Dragon Magazine articles, the older ones, that people wanted to modify the game. If you listen to Ed Greenwood talk about how he runs the Forgotten Realms, he does not run it by the rule book, right? Exactly as such. He uses it as a vehicle to tell the stories and he tweaks and, and uh, messes with things. They've melded in different classes and races from different editions, you know, into what he plays is essentially a second edition AD&D game in his, in his home game, he says, but there's aspects of first edition that they still use. Because the game is in, is uh, so malleable, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it. Well, it is malleable, but because I don't think I don't know, I don't know too many that people that I grew up with that played naturally. So we, I started out with first edition eighteen. I mentioned that on an episode before. I don't think any of us growing up in the groups and circles that I knew had ever played first edition AD and D per the book rules. As no, written. no, no one I knew. No, and so you it was inherently kind of understood that you would be doing things outside of the rules you're gonna gonna hack it it. yeah you're gonna totally gonna hack this game before that was even a phrase when you played sean's ad and d game oh sean's game was a lot like this brett's game was a lot like a, a roman a roman civilization you know bill's game was more you know, Tolkien-esque. And this other guy's game was very Jack Vance or had a lot of sci-fi stuff in it. <clears throat> so I think it's, again, it laid the groundwork for a lot of for a lot of uh, gamers like you and I, Sean, to, you start playing that and seeing the concepts within it. A lot of other people understand it. Oh, I play D&D. Oh, you play D&D. When you're in the hobby, it's one of those games that it's, it's a universal joint. And then if you get the concepts, you can move on to other components of it. Now... Let's take a step away from that for a second. Now that we have other game systems out there, right? There's Dungeon World for Fantasy. There is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Rollmaster from back in the day. Dungeon Crawl Classics. Uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, exactly. It's a barrel. All the other. Labyrinth Lord. Labyrinth Lord. Lord. Yeah. Sword well, and those Sorcery. Those are all kind of the, the retro clony stuff, right? Lamentations of Flame Princess. Exactly. Um, Shall I go on? <laughs> no, please. <laughs> But anyway, uh, there was a from a fantasy game. It was like Earth Dawn back in the day by Fasa, and there's there's tons of different game systems out there that you can play. You know, um, a fantasy game with a sci-fi twist. I have Shadowrun. I, I have Spelljammer. Spelljammer. Spell yeah. So is there is it Sean? Do you like D and D now because of its nostalgia perspective, or are you more looking at it saying, you know what, you still believe that from a mechanics world that's still rock solid? 
or does what you want it to do. I mean, what is your draw now? I mean, I know I have a nostalgia piece, but when I say, Hey, we want to play D and D and you're like, yeah, I'm totally down with that because why does it, what button does it push for you or buttons perhaps? Yeah, that is a tough question because I think that, um, a lot of people may start in the dun. Not everybody now. Now that there is tons and tons of choices, not everybody's gateway drug to role playing games is Dungeons and Dragons. I think when you talk about our generation, I would say the percentage is higher. That a majority of us would be gateway in. You know, Dungeons and Dragons would be our gateway into role playing games. Having said that, so take that into mind, folks. Having said that, I do think that the latest iteration of D&D, which is the official fifth edition, well, not even official because there's been basic and expert and different basic versions, but the fifth edition that's currently out as of this recording in December 2015, I think is one of the better editions of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, so I have to consider your question as it relates to different editions, because I would say that I have no interest really in playing first edition AD&D, second edition AD&D. I just, I don't know why. Maybe if somebody pulled it out and was like, hey, but I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because the latest and greatest comes out and I learn the rules and then it's kind of like, I don't really want to know the other two. But, you know, Brett, before I met you, I think right up until I met you, I bought Osric. And then I started looking over the rules. I could not even remember how to roll initiative in those systems. It had been so long since I played first edition D&D. D6, baby. I know, right? And then it was, you know, I was like, holy cow. And then it was segments and all this other crap. And I know we never used half that stuff, you know, weapon speed, none of that crap. So even learning the old system that I hadn't played for probably over 20 years. Well, to be fair, Azra cuts out segments and such. It streamlines it. But- it is still different. Right. <clears throat> yes. Way different from a 3035 or Pathfinder. The throwback component of it is pretty intense. Right. And I hadn't I hadn't kept up in that space. Like I wasn't playing Labyrinth Lord. I wasn't playing Swords and Wizardry. I wasn't play uh I wasn't playing a lot of the OSR ish games. And so I got when I came back into the hobby, it was three O and it was pitched to me like, oh, you got to check this out. It makes so much more sense. It's got, you know, the armor class is, you know, descending or ascending, 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 ascending. Yeah. And yep. it has, uh, you know, when you roll high, it's better and not worse. And it has skills and things like that. And so when I got back into it, I'm like, okay, great. This was kind of reestablishing my baseline for role playing games. As it re- and it's specifically to Dungeons and Dragons, and now with Fifth Edition, I think you know maybe it's simpler. Um, so I I think with you what you're saying, can I? I don't know what what's the question that you asked me. <laughs> so when I say you want to play D and D, I think your first your first answer is going to be, hey, um, I want to play one of the newer versions, three o, three five, or five. It would be my preference, but if somebody wanted to whip out like keep on the Borderlands and play like Metzner Redbox, I'd be like, yeah, I'm down with that. Um, so I'm not adverse and like, oh, you're crazy. I would never want to play that. That's just, that thing doesn't make any damn sense. Blah, 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 blah. I would just, uh, you know, and the same with some of the OSR stuff. And I kind of elaborate on the OSR stuff because that's still kind of going and being published, even though you can still buy a lot of the old basic PDFs now or the old basic and expert and first edition AD and D modules. I think that that's PDF. kind of some of the draw though, right. To, to D and D as a core, at least for me, is that if I feel like, you know what, I really want to play something. There's something to me that's still intrinsically very simple about my Osric, um, my Minster red box, my Moldave stuff, the older things. <clears throat> and I know dungeon core classics is not complex, right? It still has an OSRE, you know, erases a class as dwarf halfling, fighter, you know, so on. Um, so it's not horribly complex, excuse me, but I, th- because of the number of editions it, go- it, it has gone through, I know it's pissed a number of people off. A lot of people hated fourth, a lot of people didn't like second. I know guys that are still fuck all that. It's first ed or nothing because there's so many editions out there. And what's really wonky about it is, and then the internet has helped drastically, but essentially all five of those editions and all the different versions of the basic D&D are fully supported in one way or another. Either full groups of fans 
through building retro clones. I mean, if you find something that is um, that is a retro clone of a Metzner Red Box, it's essentially Metzner Red Box supporting material, in my opinion. If you find something like Osric, Osric is supporting material, the compilation simplification of first edition. Now, perhaps second doesn't have the same impact. I don't see a lot of people doing the same type of thing with second edition AD&D for reasons perhaps we can get into another time. But I think one of the weird components about D&D is that people have a favorite edition, which is kind of cool. And I honestly don't know that I have seen <clears throat> the same level of this is my favorite edition type of thing that you in, in like a Call of Cthulhu. There's eight different versions of that game out there. And I don't know anybody who's like, look, if it's not second edition Call of Cthulhu, it's shit. I've never heard that. Maybe there are folks out there that do. But but see, here's the thing with, with Call of Cthulhu, and I think that's a bad example, and this is the reason why. Not everybody knows Lovecraft, and nobody, not everybody knows Cthulhu. True. If, no, and, no and, I get it. And not everybody knows Dungeons & Dragons, but they know fantasy, knights, shining armor, princesses, princesses, kings, you know, well, I guess what I'm saying is that it it's it spanned so many years and with the different editions being being yes. spread out that you can play everyone has a slightly different flavor and approach. I mean, if I were to run a first ed Osric style game and then run one with five E, even the same adventure just tweaked one way or the other, it's gonna feel it's gonna look and feel a lot different from a mechanics perspective. But there is a comfort level in there that I'm assuming, Sean, that you felt when you went back to to the gaming hobby and you went, hey, there's still a magic missile. I remember what Tensor's floating disc was. I remember what Morden Kanan's whatever is. That stuff was still there. And so is that, so I guess part of my question is, is the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is part of your draw to D&D some of the nostalgia components. Oh yeah, you want to have you want to have a better you want to have a better mechanical perspective. Though. I, I think it's hard not to say that nostalgia doesn't play a role in a particular game in some games. Maybe some games more than others, and some people more than others. But yeah, I'm not. Hey, I'm not above. You know, I'm not going to lie to myself here. I'm old, <laughs> and I I'm look back like and look the back. Way they used to be. I look back on the glory days when I could whip that speedball by you. Nice. Make you look like a fool boy. Oh, Mr. Freeman over in the chat room uh, points out there are two second edition D&D clones, Golden Glory and Myth and Magic. Which I I never, and I never hear about those. I always hear about all the old, the old stuff like uh, Labyrinth Lord and Swords and Wizardry and, Mm -hmm. you know, some of those. Huh. Interesting. It's, so for me, when I look, one of the reasons I like D&D is that I love the fantasy genre. And <clears throat> excuse me, some of it is the familiarity of the combat system. I like I like that level of combat sometimes. The overly detailed stuff, your occasional critical hit charts fine. Um I remember playing champions and God fuck that game had like each round had 12 segments. And depending on your speed you could act like up to seven different segments in a round. It was crazy. So I like D. But wasn't it wasn't wasn't Hero <laughs> System built on Champions, though, yeah, champions, which is supers, yeah. yes, which is different. Yeah, I know, but I'm just what I'm saying is that I've played a lot of different game systems out there, and hero, uh, the hero system itself. I used to have the the universal version. I have GURPS now. I have basic role playing as well, and a number of others on my shelf. Um, but when I play fantasy, I, I my go to is D and D because I like the way combat rolls. I can. And part of it is probably my familiarity with it. I like some of the, I like the magic missile components, like the magic, because the groups I play with, that's readily accessible. If I play another game, like, look, what spell is like magic missile? What spell is like lightning bolt? What is like the D&D version of X? Where's my cure light wound spell? One of the first things that we do is you tear through your new fantasy game system to try to find things that are similar to what you're familiar with. But I I have found that with D&D, I'm able to do, from a story perspective, the types of stories I want to build or tell with my group, um, the adventures I want to I want to write up and so on, I can do almost anything with them. Um, yes, it may not do horror as well as some. It may not do, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, when I want to say horror, it might not do, um, you know, knights and kings and some of that, of that stuff. It might not do low magic as well as high magic. And there's always plus or minuses, but it does enough 
of the very basic things to me very well. It's really, really solid at its core. And because of that, it's easy for me to add, add something on, take something away, muck with it a little bit and change its setting. I can put you in Ravenloft, Spelljammer, have the same core system. Yeah, there's components of it that might not translate 100% well, but the, the core of it has always felt to me that it's so solid that I can tell any kind of fantasy story I'd want, which is pretty much anything to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, dude. You with me? Okay. I am. I am with you. I, I, I think that I would uh, try to sum up my my feelings in the same manner. I think it's a little bit of nostalgia, familiarity, being old faithful, tying into that familiarity piece. Um, you know the system and the rules is one one hurdle to come o- overcome. And then it's maybe, you know, monsters and ecology and settings and um, yep. the era that it takes place. All that stuff comes into play. Now, is there other games that are awesome and can facilitate some of that? Yes. Is it the only game in the world? No. But this is kind of why we're picking D&D and why we appreciate it. Well, the cool parts, I, I think, as well as that with the different uh, rules, uh, the different editions, right? Each edition has issue with other people would say, oh, it's too complicated, right? Sean and I have talked about you know, the Pathfinder, the 3.5, the 375. It's really crunchy. Um, there's a lot of different, very detailed, very um, grid-based combat type of stuff. It's all geared towards that. Some of the other ones, like in second edition, started getting more skills. First edition, there's like no skill, no skill list at all until you get like um, Dungeon Your Survival Guide, Wilderness Survival Guide, which were some hardcover slots. Proficiency books. slots, though. Yeah, you had some proficiency slots, but only for certain classes, right? And you didn't get more of that until you got into the other hardcover splat books. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the um, you can D and D can be as complex or simple as you want it to be. I mean, if you go back to the Moldavay um, and Holmes editions of basic D&D or Mensner's D&D, all the way to, you know, the various different editions of AD&D, it can be as complicated or as simple as you like. And so far to me, I'm, I'm really pleased with 5th edition because it has, to me, a really good marriage of a more uh, modern design aesthetic and so far, what I mean by that is some of the things that we've come to appreciate more about Ascending Armor class and some of those components, um, but it still has enough of the OSR feel to it and the right level of complexity from a rule system perspective that I really grok it and I can run with it pretty quickly and I don't feel like there's a huge um, hurdle to digging into you know, a 500-page uh, Pathfinder book to, to understand all the feats and whatever st- else that goes into it. So I don't, I think it's, it is um, best to me, best said that it is a, it's a generic uh, vanilla type of fantasy game system. And it does that really well. It's not set out to be the game system that tells the dungeon world type of game. It's not um, Torchbearer. It's not some of those. It is more, <clears throat> it's a vanilla generic fantasy RPG and I th- believe that's what its its uh, main goal is, and I think it does it incredibly well. And because it does it so damn well, that's one. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's why I like it. And from a podcast perspective, it's really easy <laughs> to reference it as uh, a thing that everybody has at least passing familiarity with. True that. So, Sean. Am I right that 5e is your current favorite? We've, you've, you've said that, I think. Is that your current? I think, yeah, I think right now, fantasy role-playing game, yes. Not to dismiss Dun- uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, because I like that game and appreciate it for different reasons. And I would love, love, love to still run DCC, like a campaign, one level one through maybe 10, if they can even, <laughs> if you can even get there. lasted. Yeah. Seven is godlike. Um, so it does, it's running close. And I say D&D just because that's what we're playing on one night, um, one one every other week. Um, 
but in Dungeon World, I still like too. I just haven't given it much thought to running a full-length campaign. So I would probably rank them in that order. I'd probably do a Dungeon World in a one-shot. D&D maybe for a campaign. DCC maybe for a three-mission three run. I don't know. Maybe three-scenario, <laughs> four-scenario run. I don't know. But I, I do think it is... Um, yeah, I don't have any ambition to buy any more fantasy role-playing games... Really, in the and even if I play Five E and I want to run Sinister Secret Assault Marsh, I can just pick up the module and convert it. You know, there's conversions. It's out not that there. hard. No, and I think that the I have to say this may be going off the deep end, but I I might go as far to say that the fifth edition D and D game is the best one that's ever been made for D and D. Yeah, for D and I think that's definitely arguable. I think the um. One of the things that I really like about it is that every edition of D&D is hackable because it's a generic vanilla type of system. It's it's supposed to be that. At least that's how I view it. Um, because of that, I can read Dungeon World and I can take the bonds concept. And I can say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to slap that right into my D&D game. I'm going to read something about drives from a gumshoe game. Say, you know what, I'm going to take that and put it on my on my D&D character sheet. <clears throat> it doesn't impact the uh, the core mechanic of the game it may impact like perhaps experience points or and I don't I don't even think it has to do that but you can tack different things the game is so bloody hackable because I guess we can argue simplicity or not when we get to if we talk to you know balance of system and so on but it's very easy to take a, a aspect of something and put it on top of it you can take a sanity system like they did in D20 called Cthulhu, and put it on top of a D20 game. You could take um, <clears throat> something that you've learned from Dungeon Crawl Classics, Critical Hit Charts. You could slot that right on top of it. You can, any game system you read, components of, boy, I really like this whole preparedness concept. Again, uh, hearkening to my gumshoe liking. I want to take this preparedness component and bring that into this game. You can do that because it's its core is very solid. It's pretty, and the outside parts are have lots of different plug-and-play sections, in my opinion. So I think that's, to me, one of the really cool components of it and one of the things that keeps bringing me back to it. So when I want to run it in a low magic game, I can pair off the parts I don't want. If I want to tweak it for a different type of game, I can add some other stuff back on top of it. And it's still D&D at its core. It feels essentially the same, or I should say plays essentially the same. The feeling of it may be a little bit different depending on what you added. All right, man, that's fair enough. If you're playing D&D, let us know what edition and why you like it so much. And if you've hacked it, what have you hacked to include in your own D&D game? Not necessarily the deepest, nastiest topic we've ever had, Sean, but it's just one of those things that I've been asked before. You know, why are you still playing that? There's so many other cool games out there. Why do you still play that? And I'm like, you know, I I like it. Well, got to put some meat behind that statement. I like it. So hopefully we got a little something out there. Yeah. Let's get into die roll. Die roll is 2D for miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to share with you. The listener. Brad has three. I have four. I think I had five, but I... Yeah, you're sick. So there is a... um, Kev Kev Lovecraft sent us a link, or I should say he posted out a link to uh, uh, boingboing.net. We've got the link in the show notes there. It's a model railroad set up exactly like H.P. Lovecraft's Arkham. Pretty cool. Take a look at it. It's one of those things that you see, like, oh, that's cool. It, it just it's, it's neat to see people take their hobby and their love for any piece of, of uh, this hobby, I, I guess, and turn it into something cool like that. Um, Sean and my personal friend, Steve Jackson. Um, hey. All right. Steve Jackson. Yeah, Steve, Steve Jackson Games. He's hiring. Um, he's got we've got a little link out there to the jobs board for SJ Games. Sean, I'm assuming he's going to contact you to do the recruiting for him. Well, you know, that's why, funny. Why would he not? Well, I don't think he knows much about me. I didn't get a chance to talk to him at Gamehole Con, unfortunately. Yeah, I was I'm sorry, I kinda of hogged on I might have been able to I might have been able to help him out, but I think mentioning it on the podcast is something we could do. I think we could do that. Let's do that. That's something little we could do. The third one I have is uh, World of Darkness. The guys at White Wolf, Onyx Path, all those cats. Uh, the World of Darkness is rebuilding. The new World of Darkness is now being branded as Chronicles of Darkness. This has made its way around a couple different 
aspects of it. Um, White Wolf was purchased not that long ago. Again, we had, we talked about that here and there's some stuff on onyxpath.com with the link here. And there's some stuff out on YouTube that's been making uh, circulations out there. So kind of cool. Um, if you're interested in the Chronicles of Darkness drive through RPG has it, it's a, um, a pre-release PDF where if you get in on it now, it's got some rough edges, but once it's updated and the new full version is there, being that you bought it on the pre, you get the updated version um, uh, free when it's released from what I've read. So check that out if you're interested in World of Darkness stuff, as I and my gaming group are. It could be kind of cool. Sean, your turn, sir. So I saw this on a blog post over at Board. So I saw it on a blog post from somebody on Google Plus that pointed to Game Geek that I actually found another article on ICV2. This is Board Game Geek? Yeah. Okay. W. Eric Martin, a reporter for Board Game Geek, published an article that will change the landscape of the board gaming hobby. The Bold long, statement. The long and the short is in 2016, Asmodee, Asmodee, North America, will become the sole North American distributor for Fantasy Flight Games, Asmodee, and Days of Wonder Games, and they are limiting retail distribution to five distributors. While Ooh. that is not a big deal, they will also be restricting all retail sales to face-to-face transactions only, meaning no internet-based sales. Okay, that's a big deal. The first thing you said, I didn't, I'm like, whatever, whatever, what? That's no right. internet sales? No and Amazon.com? None of that? So they are, I had heard, if you click on like the ICV2 link, We'll put in the show notes. It mentions how they are probably going to allow some of the bigger retailers, maybe Amazon, but my guess or their guess Mm. is that they will limit how far they can cut to a discount, which means you're not going to find Star Wars Imperial Assault for 35% off. Well, this is where you and I talked about when 5e, you know, hearkening back to our D&D conversation two minutes ago, um, when D&D 5e came out, I bought the entire trilogy of books, DMG, PHB, and Monster Manual from Amazon at half price <laughs> that I could get at any gaming store. So if they're going to put that kibosh on that, that could get interesting. Yeah, I think it's, uh, to say the least, ballsy. Very. Which, so... Local game stores, yay, yay, yay. Consumer, uh, and don't live in local. Uh, well, and then the exposure piece, right? So unless you go into your local game store, you will not know that this thing exists. If you go on Amazon, there's a chance that you may know it exists. Does that? I mean, maybe they don't care if it's on Amazon as long as it's not cut down to thirty five percent off, which I'm sure will be the case. Because Amazon's been known to strong arm even publishers like, hey, we. What's we, a big goddamn store, dude? I can get it. I get it. I don't know, man. All right. What do you got next? Next. Errata is out for Monster Manual and DMG as of 12-21-2015. Get it while it's hot over at Wizards of the Coast. Don't be a nice. cheater. Update your rules. For the lack of better words, PHB, just so you know, was released back in June, which I never even downloaded. I'm probably cheating right now as we speak. Oh, my God. Make me sad. So, Carry on. Errata. Get it. Next, best and worst sci-fi and fantasy movies of 2015. I don't know why I put this up there. The list is kind of sketchy. It's over at io9.gizmodo.com. It's even got one listed that somebody would probably scratch their head and go, is this really science fiction or fantasy? The coolest thing about lists like this are, if nothing else, it's a great point to argue something. It's complete link bait. It's absolute link bait. But the other thing that I have found is sometimes like, oh, really? What's out there? Shit, I didn't know that movie was out. Crap, I forgot about that one. Well, that's true. And it does hit me every once in a while. Ah, frack, there's a cool thing. I should go I should go see that. So that's true. Uh number four, ABC celebrates Captain America's 75th anniversary on January 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So hey, Very nice. happy happy birthday, Cap. Absolutely. Are we good? We're good, unless we want to talk about our awesome sponsor. Yeah! Oh, yeah, we got Michael Althauser. From, uh, great, I moved all my dice bags. I'm not, not, damn it. 
<clears throat> Great Out Productions. Um, uh, greatout.etsy.com. That's G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T.etsy.com. He has um, handmade dice bags, dual drawstring. They're pretty darn tough. Tough as nails, some have said in the past. Um, they're pretty darn cool. I've got four of those things. Sean's got a couple of them. If you use our gaming NBS promo code, you'll get 10% off your order. So check it out. He's got good stuff. You can do custom things, plenty of stuff in a shop. See what he's got. Thank you for sponsoring the show, Michael. And the show brought to you also by patrons like Joe Swick, Kevin Lovecraft. And we want to also thanks Forrest Aguirre for becoming a patron. Thank you so much, Forrest. Much appreciated. Otherwise, I think that is the show. Yeah, next week we're going to talk about ending the campaign. Yeah. After after Sean yanked the rug out from under us on our D&D game, I figured we should... uh, We'll hash this out here. Oh, is that why you picked this stupid no, topic? Holy oh, shit. Oh, oh, stupid topic. So I, oh, I mean, this awesome bitch. topic. Well, Thank at you. first I thought it was you being passive aggressive by taking out no. your frustrations and making it no, a topic I'm, for the podcast. I, I'm not well known on being passive aggressive, usually just aggressive. Oh, touche. <laughs> I, All right. Yes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening and subscribing. If you like what you hear, please tell somebody about it. Otherwise, you can find other ways to support us at GamingNBS forward slash support dash us on the website. Otherwise, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all.